ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terramaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Hey everybody, it's Leonard with ATV Talk and I'm here with Danny Ray Duncan, the senior and Danny Ray Duncan, the second. Uh, we're just going to have a conversation about the ATV industry and and what it is in our lives and um, you know get a little insight to uh, where we all are. Danny who lives in uh, Idaho and Danny senior still running the flagship uh, down here and working with my brother and I at Duncan racing. So uh, welcome to ATV talk. And uh, we'll just call this the Duncan chat. Hey Danny, how are you doing? Very good. Doing hey, well. Ray, how are you doing? Doing well. Good, good. The cold up there in Idaho. Um, yeah, it was, uh, man, what was it? 19 today or 20? I don't know. Something, something cold when I came out of work and shivered. <laughs> so, uh, what's this, what are the sandings like? Have you got to go out there and check them out? Um, no, I, I've not, honestly, I've heard a lot about them. Um, but I've never experienced them myself. I, from what I understand, they're pretty big and they're really tree. There's a lot of trees you have to ride in between. And there's a lot of razorbacks from what I understand. I've had a, quite a few people ask me to come out and go riding with them. But as you know, I, I, I currently don't have a, a bike, which is shocking, but you know, I got two baby boys and, and it's, it's hard, you know, to, uh, sustain riding. And I work three jobs, have a side business, you know, and just, I work a lot. So and all the money goes towards them. But from what I understand is it's beautiful. And in the summer here, it's, it is beautiful. And it's, it's, and that's when you go. So like, if you are from Southern California, like we are, and you wanted to ride during the summer, but it's too hot in California, you come up here and it's some of like the most beautiful weather year. It's like 80 degrees and it's perfect. Little breeze. Beautiful. That's awesome. Other than you got to drive 20 hours to get there. It's uh 15 and a half from San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> is that in a, is that in a passenger car or is that a, a truck towing a big trailer or a motor home towing a trailer? Well, seeing how California is the only one that's backwards that puts a speed limit when you have a trailer, it, you can get going pretty good because nowhere else limits you on your speed. I can drive, drive a three, I can drive a truck with two trailers on the back and still go 80. <laughs> Not that I would, but you can. Right. Right. So, so have you been watching anything about the ATV industry, seeing anything that's going on? 
Um, so I, I, I've been listening to ATV talk, yeah. um, when I get a, a moment and I saw that Baron, I heard that Baron and looked up that Baron won another title. Um, Weenan got another title, which I was, I was, I was really happy for both of them. And then, I mean, yeah, I, I live, I would, I, I would live this stuff. I, I absolutely love it. I just, sometimes time doesn't permit, but I do look a lot and I listen to stuff and, uh, not to name another, um, podcast, but I listen to Pulp MX about all the dirt bike stuff. And every Saturday night we watch Supercross and hang out as a family. And, uh, my kids cheer. They don't know what they're cheering for. Lucy cheers for Tomac, but she has no idea who Tomac is. She just likes the color of his bike and he has number one plate. So, <laughs> but you know, what in her world, what else is there? Yeah. The color and the number. Right. Yeah. So, and then I got, I mean, I got customers up here that were for my side business and stuff that are, invested in the racing stuff. Um, and they ask me questions and stuff. And I have, you know, Shane hits Jersey and Chad Weenan's Jersey and your Jersey dad and, you know, Eichner's Jersey and Gus and all of them. I got, you know, them hanging it. I got a, um, balanced Jersey all hanging in my garage and get a lot of questions about them. And it's cool. I get to tell them, you know, cool little stories and you know nothing major but it's fun it's interesting for them you know it is i, I get it i uh I've, I've loved the industry you know uh, growing up working on the garage floor you know when grandpa was running the dyno and and you know building 9110 motors and you know we were just uh not even clueless, didn't even have an idea of what the ATV industry was going to become. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing the the, the travels that we've had and, you know, I've taken you all across the world, checking it out and, you know, you've yeah. got the Poland and, and uh, France and all over the United States, Germany, Canada, Mexico, all kinds of places. Yeah. It's, it's unreal. I uh, remember back in the late uh, 60s, I was a service manager for a dealership in uh, El Cajon and uh, went to a dealer's meeting where they show all the new models and they had this ugly little fat tired three-wheeler that (laughs) I thought was a joke. <laughs> that that they were playing on the industry and uh, and I just couldn't imagine anybody liking them and uh, when it came time to place an order my uh, the owner of the shop uh, bought quite a few of them and they uh, they immediately sold uh, Everybody thought it was fun and and bought them, and we had a uh, uh, parts man that 
used to spend as much time as possible doing wheelies up and down the sidewalk in front of the shop. And I'm sure that helped sell a few, but I just couldn't imagine that it would turn into what it turned into <laughs> and that I could be making a living off of, of these three wheelers. Yeah. I mean, when, when I was a kid, I, I remember, well, kid, I was a teenager and it, we were transitioning from the two fifty R's and the Takatis to the, to the four wheelers. And, you know, nobody really took the Suzuki quad racers too super serious. Well, some people did, but uh, we didn't really. Um, and then when the two, the four tracks came out from Honda, the TRX, that was the game changer for, for myself and our family. And, um, you know, everybody just jumped on it and loved it immediately. And, and no, I still didn't see the visions of how it was going to change and what it was going to be like and where we were going to go. You know, I was still in high school at the time. Well, no, I take that back. I was just out of high school and, and, uh, we were still, I was still riding three wheelers for the first couple of years of four wheelers. I don't think I bought, I don't think I bought my first 86 250R until, um, did you buy the first one off of Uncle Lauren? I bought one that, uh, I bought it from Uncle Lauren, uh, for what they sold for new. And it was already had work done to it. I mean, we didn't have a arms and we, we had some, uh, some shocks back then, but they were nothing like they are today, but we were still running, you know, stock a arms at a finish line axle. And, uh, I think there were Bilstein front shocks with a type six pipe on there, a Canaan filter with the airbox lit off. And dude, I thought I was the coolest kid in town. And, um, you know, Uncle Lauren gave me some uh, motor, motocross tires. I had uh, a set of um, Otsu knobbies and I had a set of Otsu fronts that, that were just like the factory Honda guys had on the front, which were back then were, weren't super rare, but later on you realized how precious they were and you, you shouldn't be using them uh, because they were a low profile front knobby. Um, so I would go race all over, you know, the Southern California area here. And, uh, it was pretty awesome. You know, we got to go to the sand dunes. I don't think I rode the four tracks in the sand dunes very much. We just raced, you know, that SRA GPs we had, um, there was a race at Carlsbad. It seemed like all the time, whether it be a TT series, they had there an oval track series. There was GPs there every other weekend, you know, you'd go to Paris raceway and race, um, I can't even think of some of the places that we went uh, and it was just all over Southern California. And, and, uh, that's where when I'm on the, the four tracks and Donnie loose passed me on his Takati, you know, over that tabletop sideways, uh, you know, and, and jumped the tabletop in a turn. It was a turn style tabletop, uh, it, it, like a platform 90 degree turn. And, uh, or 180 degree turn. And he passed me there on a three wheeler, like I was tied to a fence post. Little did I know that we'd be buying parts from Donnie later on in life, you know, when he worked for white brothers and, uh, you just don't know where it's all going to go and the history of uh, who this guy was and who that guy was. And, uh, I raced against a bunch of people that, um, 
you know, some of them, I can remember their names, but I, some of these people have went on to race different environments and, and do different things in the industry. And, uh, it's some pretty cool stuff. You know, I, I probably raced uh, at the same time, you know, when Co and some of these other guys were there, uh, maybe even Marty when they were racing some of these events and didn't even know it because I was oblivious to who, who these guys were at that point in time in my life. Yeah, it's amazing how it transitions, you know. I mean, I don't know. I was going through some stuff the other day and, and not talking old school, talking new school. I mean, uh, Joel Hetrick. I mean, look at this kid now. And I picked up a magazine and it was, you know, I had him when he was on one of those little, God, what are they? The little the little quads, the, the DRRs or whatever they are. Was he writing a DRR or an Apex? I don't even remember. I Maybe it was an Apex. I don't remember Never one of them. But he he's on the cover of it and it says, you know, the future of ATV racing. And it has him and um Ristrelli on there on the cover together. And I was just like, man, that's crazy how that kid just popped up and when I was going through my stuff and they're on the cover, and I'm just like, Yeah, they're they're it now, you know, them and what uh, was in the pro meaning, class that came out. What meaning was in the pro class when that magazine came out? <laughs> probably, <laughs> <laughs> probably he was probably when he was riding for Can Am. He might have been on the cover too. I just didn't pay attention. You know, so. it, it's kind of funny. We were talking. I was having a conversation with um, Mike Coe and and Tracy Dixon and Jim Babbitt about all the different racing. And we were talking about Speedway 117. You never got to go there. You never got to go and enjoy that. You never, well, that was gone by the time you were old enough to even go to the races. So we didn't, we didn't go to Speedway 117. And there was a lot of, you know, grandpa's last motorcycle race was there. And um, we raced uh, Wednesday night motocross there on two wheelers. Um, I don't think we raced it a lot. I think uncle Lauren maybe raced more there than I did, but you know, when you went to the three-wheeler races, that's where it was uh, around here. You didn't have Barona until later on for the three-wheelers and the four-wheelers. Um, but we raced mini bikes up at Barona Oaks, uh, the CM, CMMC track. Uh, that was that was pretty awesome back then. Uh, so there, there's so many different things, you know, and you think of all the different names that went through the Barona track on the motorcycles, you know, Ricky Johnson, Scott Myers, Scott Burnsworth, uh, Steve Walker. Uh, I mean, Jeff Ward raced down there. I mean, the, some of these guys are you know, iconic and, and uh, you know, Ward's been in an Indy car and Ricky Johnson's won races in a trophy truck and other things. And, and it's pretty amazing that all of these people have crossed crossed our lives and crossed the lines, you know, your grandfather used to build, um, mini bike, your XR 75s for Ricky Johnson. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of people don't, don't, uh, well, first and foremost, people don't believe that, uh, I'm a Duncan and everybody asks me what the hell I'm doing here in Idaho and why I'm not back at home working for the shop and whatnot. But a lot of people look at me like I'm look at me sideways when I tell them that my grandfather used to build Ricky Johnson's bikes. And then <laughs> they just, they look at me like, what really? Like, yeah, my grandfather was a two wheeler guy before he was a three wheeler and four wheeler guy. And he was a damn good one too. You know, 
he used to build all the exhausts and all this stuff, you know, and, and people just look at me like, really? And they wonder what the heck I'm doing up here and why I'm not working, <laughs> working for the shop. <laughs> a life and, uh, wanting to, you know, grow and, and, and I mean, picking the, the industry or picking the, the world that we pick to, uh, to be in, to do what we do. Um, there's some sacrifices that have to be made or you don't realize it, but it's, it's, it's a small business and in small businesses, you know, there's not always a lot of gravy, you know, some, some years it's lean, uh, some years it's prosperous and the prosperous years you, you put away for the lean years and you work hard and, you know, to learn your trade, you know, I think that's something that's lost in this country is to learn your trade. You have to sacrifice some of your life to do it. And not a lot of people want to sacrifice any of their lives. They just want to jump in and be C- CEO on day one. And it doesn't work like that. You know, I mean, I, I know how I think many- that, that was like right before you talk about sacrifice. I mean, I remember being 15, 16 before grandma pulled me in the office and said, Hey, um, you no longer work at the shop. And it was because me and you got in that fist, not that fist fight, but that fight, um, because I wanted to go hang out with my girlfriend at the time. And you're like, no, we have a race coming up next weekend. You're going to work on your race bike. And I'm like, no, I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriend. And I remember grandma pulling me in the office on Monday. I'm like, ah, I know. And a lot of people don't realize that, 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 that grandma would, I mean, she, ran the family more than anybody i mean <laughs> she she was you know she hell was the wheels, what she was hell on wheels yeah she yeah he like was feisty and you know firm and strong and and uh you know had her had it going on i mean she was she could tell you sometimes what you were thinking before you thought it yeah well a lot of people don't realize i mean aunt kevy too i mean you know the female presence in this industry you know is a little undershadowed and and i mean the but cook- i mean kevy could what cookie thursday yeah <laughs> everybody would throw up for her cookies on uh she'd set on that, that one. she'd set that plate down at eight o'clock and I don't think that those cookies made it to nine o'clock and the guys from the turbo shop across the way were coming over. And I think there was somebody, there was another guy coming over from one of the other businesses, you know, and uh, you know, even of the things that you didn't like, you ate because they were still so good. A lot of customers would, would make their run to our, the shop on uh, Thursday morning because that's where the cookies were. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm not talking about just like their cookies, but their, their knowledge. I mean, grandma's knowledge of finances is far superior to most people I know. And, you know, and Kevin knew the, the four wheelers, you know, she was really good. She could answer all your questions. She knew all the prices. I mean, I remember, I remember she would get calls from customers and she's like, well, I can answer that question too. You know, (laughs) she'd get a little feisty too. Because I mean, she listened to to uncle Lauren and I talk so much that, I mean, it has to stick to a point. And, you know, back then 
she was the savior to keep me off the phone as much as she could, uh, you know, cause she was constantly taking orders and answering a, a bunch of those questions. And we were good enough. And we, I think we still are that, you know, if you get the information written on the paper, we know what part they want for what application. And, you know, even if, the, if, if, if there might be a small discrepancy, we generally got the right thing to everybody and, and made sure that it was okay. You know, jetting carburetors or building reed cages or exhaust pipes, you know, I mean, I never want to sand another reed cage in my life. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a different Ever. now and it takes half as much time. Um, we have, does it kill your hands? Uh, no, cause I don't wear the gloves and I don't tape my fingers anymore. When I was, when I was doing uh, bunches of them at a time, you know, where you'd sit there for hours at that sanding block and sand reed cages, you, you know, you'd tape your fingers because they'd be bleeding by the time you were done. And, uh, yeah, it's not like that now we're still doing them a few. I still do a couple a day, but it's nothing like it used to be. I try to get the inventory ahead so that I don't have to, but as everything sells faster than you can build it now. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's crazy. The two stroke market is on an upswing and our four stroke business is um, crazy, insane at the same time, you know, uh, pipe sales are up, uh, bumper sales are up, everything's, everything's on the up and the, the tech phone calls are, are off the hook, you know. That was one thing that, you know, was probably taught by a grandfather to grandpa to you guys is extreme meticulism at being super meticulous with everything you do and just hyper-focused. And it just always amazed me how with uncle Lauren, uncle Lauren is just, he doesn't say much. He's not a big talker, but his actions speak loud and he's just so, in tune with what he's doing and he he just has it all he's super organized and you know everything's bam 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 and sometimes with you dad it was more of controlled chaos <laughs> would you be working on five different bikes at the same time and and it, and it was always amazing that both of you guys always knew what it was going on at, at all times and you know and i i've taken that into my and taught, you know, watch that and did a, do a, own my own form of it, but it's, it's, uh, it was impressive to watch you guys and still to see the way you guys do stuff and just, you know, yeah, that's, it's definitely taught. I, I see the meticulism that or meti how meticulous grandpa is too, with, building parts and doing what he does still and with the heads and, and just the surdy machine and everything that he does. It's just, everything's precise. <laughs> Measure it five times to make sure it's cut once, you know, <laughs> you're going to love this. I had to put a shower door enclosure in the downstairs bathroom. So grandpa comes out to check on me and, and there's a, there's holes already drilled in the tile. Right. And the bolt patterns off on the, on the, uh, 
frame that I was putting in. And he goes, you know, we could measure that and put the holes in the same place and, you know, seal all this. And I go, no, dad, I plan on being done before we take it out to the drill press. So <laughs> we're, gonna, we're not going to do that. I just <laughs> went back in my room. Yeah. He just, <laughs> okay, whatever. No problem. Knock yourself out. Uh, doing a, well, two, hours, my, two hours later, I was still trying to finish it up. It, it just looked like it would be easier to use the existing holes, but he didn't think so. He's doing a job, so uh, <laughs> I'm I'm a I'm a doer, and if I don't have three or four jobs going at one time to work on, um, I, you know, I'm a little stressed one project at a time is scary because um it's just not how i've ever done anything you know i mean i have my side business up here and i I take one at a time hey i don't have the space to take more than one at a time but i mean i i've been working on these utility quads and let me tell you there's they're not fun to work on but you know um, but they're so big. It's, it's hard. But I, I personally, I, I don't know how you work on more than one at a time, you know, and have it to where it's, you know, I mean, putting it away in boxes and pushing it to the side is, is all fine and dandy, but when you're in a little garage, it's hard to do that. But I mean, man, just keeping it all straight. I mean, I have to take notes and then half the time freaking Charles gets out there and loses my notes anyways, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. I'm starting to, as I get a little older, um, I'm starting to take more and more notes, especially more on the, on the park ordering side of it. I'm not as much on the, uh, on the uh, actual where the nuts and bolts go or the torque settings and things like that, or, you know, the process of working on it isn't, I don't have to take notes for that, but um, and I can keep the multitude of different jobs going as I'm working on it. But if I took it apart and let it pushed it over in the corner and haven't rolled it into the spot to work on it, no, I'm not thinking about it. So I can't remember it. I have to wait until it's time. And then I guess my notes are about parts and stuff like that. What it needs, what it doesn't need, you know, little things that I find, like I was working on this guy's, um, big 700 twin four by four. And his shift shaft was, you know, seeping a little bit of oil. And I was telling him that that's going to need to be replaced and just jotting that stuff down. And I, I do photos. I do a lot of photos because I found that I have a smartphone anyways. I can catalog everything and show them. And so they're not like, oh, you bull, bull crap. They can't call, say nothing because you're like, look, here's a photo of it. You know, and I just, I mean, the thing had a thousand miles on it and it wasn't enough that it needed to be replaced right then, but just like little things like that and cataloging that in the sense of like, okay, I've worked on this bike. This was a problem before I have this note. I have this little bit of, you know, a paper write out of, you know, a notebook write out of what, what I did, what it might need in the future you know, different stuff like that. And I, I try and keep notes like that because I mean, I might not see that bike for another year two years. Cause who knows if he's ever going to change the oil again, you know, cause it's a, it's a farm vehicle. They don't, it's, it's different out here in Idaho. I've noticed is, you know, their tools, they change the oil themselves and they bring it to you when it has a problem, you know? So 
who knows if he's going to have me do anything to it for a long time. So, but it's just interesting going from performance ATVs to four by fours and how much harder it is to work on the four by fours. But at the same time, it's, it's not, I don't know. Well, it's just, you have to focus your energy on learning the machine learning what you have to take apart to work on it and put it back together. I was working on a foreman for a friend of mine. And what I really liked about it is when you took the seat off, you could see the carburetor right there. You didn't have to. Was that the, that foreman, did it have a crossbar over it that you had to take the crossbar off to pull the carb? You reached down and freaking there was the carburetor. But was there the crossbar there? No, there was no crossbar. Oh. Huh. Not that I remember because the, the fuel line, uh, you know, you turn the gas off and I freaking, I, I turned the gas off and uh, could take the carb, the cable loose and everything, pull the carb out, do what I need to do, put it all back on. I didn't drain the tank or anything. Um, I just fix, fixed the, the portion of the carburetor that I had to. And that was awesome. It was faster than doing that one than it was uh, one of the 450s. But if I had, had to take that gas tank off, I'd have been there all week. <laughs> Dude, so that Suzuki that I worked on, that I was just talking about, the it has power steering on it. And they put the power steering column right in front of the top plate. So the guy, I told the guy it needed the valves done most likely. And he was like, how much for that? And I'm like, dude, I'm not even quoting you because I, you have to pull the power steering, all the power steering off. You have to pretty much strip this entire bike down to get the top plate off, to even check the valves, to see if they even need to be either adjusted or redone or, you know, get a valve job or a head done or anything like that. And I'm like, I'm not doing it. I, I don't have the time or the energy and you're not going to want to pay what it's worth. <laughs> like, not that he's not, not anything bad or anything like that. The guy's a super nice guy, but it's just like, it, it would be cheaper for you to sell this thing and go buy a new one. than <laughs> it would be for my time to, to, to check the valves on this thing. And then they had like Suzuki smart because they make these specialized tools that you can buy from them to make it way easier. But man, the tool is ridiculously price too. And I'm not going to do enough of them probably to make it worth it, you know, but it, it always amazes we Jolene. I'll be, our, we make most of our specialized tools. Yeah. And, uh, well, I don't have a lathe or a machine or a, anything like that to make them. Well, why not? <sighs> well, because um, half of, half of my garage is my wife's Christmas stuff. And the other half is, is, <laughs> is my shop. When uh, I first started working on things, uh, motorcycles mainly, uh, they were open. You could see the carburetor. You could get to the the uh, mag. You could get to everything, and it it irritated me as time went on when they started closing in everything. And you spent more time taking things apart uh, just to get to what you needed to work on, like you were talking about. And uh, 
that's why I uh, I liked uh, uh, race models because of the fact they were usually stripped down to where everything was uh, out in the open. Yeah, I was I was trying to explain to a customer. He was he was like, "Man, that seems like a lot of money to to do that." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, it's an hour to take the plastics off this thing because I got to take your." your rifle rack off your other rack that holds everything just to get to the fenders. And then it takes 30 minutes to get the fenders off. Cause there's 30 push pins on this side and 30 push pins on the other side. And that's just to get to the other side to where there's 30 more on the other side. You're an hour just taking the fenders off to get to the oil filter, <laughs> you know? And he was just like, man, I didn't realize it was that much work. I'm like, yeah, neither did I. <laughs> my wife's like how long is this going to take i'm like ah it's an oil change it should take me like an hour two hours later she's like what are you doing i'm like i haven't even got to the oil filter yet <laughs> no some of those uh, just and if you if you don't work on the same model when i first started i worked on whatever came in the door uh Plus, trying to do the performance work that I done, and uh, um, to keep the doors open, you had to, uh, you know, work on what what needed fixed. And yeah. uh, a lot of times, uh, you spent a lot of time just figuring out what it is you had to do before you could start doing it. And sometimes you take off things that didn't need to come off. But uh, that's how you learn. Yeah, I spent a lot of time reading. No matter how you get it. Yeah, I spent a lot of time reading. When I'll get a bike, and you know, a manual is three hundred bucks, but there's you know, some of them don't even have manuals. You know, so you end up, you know, I bought um, I bought a book on carburetors. Um, and it, it's about, it's not just about like four wheelers, dirt bike carburetors. It's about carburetion of like old Chevy Novas and all the older trucks and stuff like that. And it's amazing how much you can learn from that stuff and apply it to, but you know, the ATV stuff. The, that was basically what you did is you looked at the car magazines because the, uh, the motorcycle magazines didn't uh, have how-to uh, items in them because uh, I'm talking about the late 50s when I first started working on on bikes. And uh, yeah. uh, I found that uh, if I was going to work on it very often, though, I I done the best I could to get a... Uh, a shop manual and a parts book. And yeah. that usually told you just about everything you needed to know because the parts book would tell you parts. Well, the shop manual didn't always tell you that they were inside of a, <laughs> the case or that there was things that you had to take apart before you could take this other thing apart. But if you if you paid attention to the shop manual, and it said there were seven screws and you could only find six of them. One of them was still in there somewhere. 
I found that, you know, grandpa, you, you taught me a long time ago, the schematic and going through and looking at the, the, the schematic book, like you were talking about the six and seven bolts. And that that's honestly helped me a lot or just sometimes they have the picture of the breakdown and everything. And that that's helped me. Um, I, I, I don't have a consistent flow of, I haven't worked on the same bike twice, same type that, of bike twice. It's hard because of the fact that, uh, I remember one time taking in a, a big road machine and it had a transmission problem and I'd never worked on one before. And I had that thing apart and back together about a half a dozen times. I lost my ass on that so bad. <laughs> I, I'd been better off to give the guy a couple hundred dollars and send him down the road. <laughs> but when I got through, I knew how to, you know, what the, what the problems were and, and uh, how to get to them. But you'd learn yeah. for a period of time that, that, that uh, the nuts and bolts, I've seen guys make little schematics so they could put the screws in the right. They all stick out the same amount. So when you're putting them back in, if they all stand the same height, you got them in the right place. If one of them is too far in or too far out, uh, it's in the wrong hole. It's the wrong hole. <laughs> but yeah. I put in so many time certs from people that put this short screw in the wrong hole and uh, you know, rip the threads out. But uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes me most nervous about being up here is, is I, I mean, time certs and stuff like that. If I, you know, I'm super careful. I mean, and this is something that my dad made me do anyways, my whole life is I was never allowed to use power tools. So I always use everything, all my hand tools and everything. And well, that you, takes you longer. You, you can feel it. Tools to take it apart, but you put it back together by hand. So, or unless you've got a, a very weak uh, nut runner, yeah. otherwise you, you will uh, strip things out. When, yeah, and it's amazing how how fast things strip out. Doesn't take much, does it? Yeah, well, wow. follow the torque spec, and 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 if your threads are clean on your bolt, or uh, you know, you also start learning to manufacturers because certain manufacturers, the hardware is not as good, or the case material is not as good, and and you know this going in, so you have to be. Uh, a little more ginger with the specific how you torque that bolt or if it doesn't take the torque instantly you stop because you know that that bolt's stretch stretching or the threads are given up so you have to take it apart check it really well um and then you know either put a time cert in there or replace the bolt you know and that's we're talking about the six millimeter, the small stuff the eight millimeter stuff doesn't stretch the same way the 10 millimeter stuff doesn't either um I've had people bring me bikes though, that, you know, they've had other people work on that just drove her home. You know what I mean? To where you see, that, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, dad, where you, you put, they put it on with an electric tool and you hear, you can see the marks on the outside of the bolt where they went and it just wears it. And it almost rounds that edge off. And I'm just like, God, I cringe. I'm like, God, I hope I can get this bolt off. I can't, you know what I mean? And it just, 
Well, you, yeah. you, uh, you need to set up uh, your sockets. The 12 points are nice for being able to position, but you want to, uh, you know, the, the six or uh, the six points, the six point, uh, because of the fact that it fits better and it doesn't, uh, doesn't try to round the corners off. I mean, there's just uh, uh, so many little things you learn over a period of time that uh, uh, saves you the the thing. Yeah. And your tools wear out and you got to make sure that the tips of your screwdrivers are good, that your sockets are in good shape. I mean, you just have to – all the things that – most people take for granted, you know, when you, when you make your living with those tools, you have to check them all the time. And like for my race tools, the tools, the, the specific tools that are specialty, I have two, I always take two um, because the worst thing in the world is to be somewhere in an environment where you don't have, um, you don't have a toolbox or you don't have a, uh, whatever it is, you need a specialty tool. So you have that one. I take two because if that one breaks or is marginally worn and I didn't catch it and I have to use the the good one, then I get pull it out and, and use them. I mean, you see all the stuff that I take to the races. I overkill is, is an understatement. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the rule is if you have it, you won't need it, but if you don't have it, you'll need it. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I believe if I'm going to have one, I'm going to have two. <laughs> but years ago when I was working on Hondas and Triumphs and uh, the Hondas, you couldn't get the screws out and Triumphs, you couldn't keep them in because <laughs> they fall out or strip the threads or they were a pain in the ass because the thing. And you were talking about um, things being in the way. I, I used to swear that Triumph engineers, the ones that designed the engine, did or the ones that built the frames didn't like the guys that built the engines because they put pieces of frame in front of everything you needed to work on. <laughs> and it's always the stuff that breaks that's right behind the frame. And it's like, God, I know. I so it's winter time up here. So, I mean, a lot of people aren't having to work on stuff and I can't tell you how many people want me to work on their snowmobiles. And I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to get into that. Well, that's you know? the same way I felt about uh, jet skis, uh, you know, because they take it out in the salt water and then don't wash it off when they come home and everything is corroded. And, uh, I worked on a few of them and I, I swore off. Uh, jet skis and and uh what's the airplane uh the little uh ultralights ultralights you don't work on ultralights and you don't work on jet skis <laughs> well, hey, yeah. if something goes wrong with the ultralight customers not coming back <laughs> well i i worked on one one time you know why right danny yeah, yeah. <laughs> i I worked on one one time, and uh, a few days later, the guy uh, landed in the, in the midway up there by the uh, the airport in the in the freeway. Scared the shit out of me because I thought it was something I done wrong, and it was something else went wrong, and and he landed in between the sections of the freeway. Luckily, he didn't get hurt, but uh, I I decided never to work on another one. <laughs> Ecker used to fly those things, man. Yeah, I done. Love did. 
for him, but uh, Ecker, Don Ecker, Don Donnie, Donnie, yeah, and his Donnie. wife was was Cinderella. She was my boss when I worked in construction, and uh, yeah, it was, he was he was crazy, man. We used to we used to go to baseball games and stuff like that. He was really into the um, ultralights, and and Grandpa used to work on the motors for him and everything. Uh, and did almost all of his work, but he, you did all his work even when he was uh, into three wheelers and stuff and motorcycles, didn't you? Yeah, for quite a while. And then he just disappeared. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I haven't talked to him in years. I think he has an airplane still. Cause I think I saw, I ran into him at the airport. <laughs> you know? Yeah. A little airport in town by where the shop used to be. Yeah. But what was nice when we first started the first three wheelers, they were uh, the typical Honda 90 engine. So we didn't, it wasn't something new, you know, you worked on them on the little street bikes and, and basically everything was, uh, you know, was Honda 90 stuff. Yeah, uh, the um, they haven't tra- changed much. Even the CR fifty CR or XR fifties are similar design to those ninety motors, aren't they? Aren't they not? Yeah, well, they they did it right the first time, and uh, and uh, the uh, most everything is similar. Isn't that engine technology around seventy years old? Well. Maybe older. First, I mean, the fifties was the first one, right? No. Uh, yeah, they they built them, but they didn't start in, in here until uh, uh, the late fifties. Yeah, you're talking the step through nineties were a similar d- design they, motor, they, weren't they? No, they were a push rod. Uh, you know, cam was in the case and overhead valves. So the the motor design that Danny's talking about is is probably a, a '60s vintage. Uh, well, they some of their twins when they had a '90 that was a pushrod, and they had a lot of the little twins were an overhead cam, and. Me and a friend of mine, a guy named Sid Garvin, we wanted to go drag racing. And uh, so we were going to adapt the overhead cam top end and put it on our pushrod engine. And uh, uh, we were in the middle of trying to figure out how to do it all when Hana came out with the overhead. Uh, S90. Kind of ruined that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we had a, a push rod 90 and we put it on nitro. <laughs> and we used to have an up driveway and a down driveway. And that thing would just really sound strong when it was pulling, coming up the hill. And, uh, so we thought when we was going to go out to, I guess it was Barona or one of the tracks that was around here, we had this little 90 that uh, was really running strong. Well, 
we didn't drain the nitro. The next day, it had softened up the tank and all that goop was in the carburetor and it wouldn't run. And uh, <laughs> You learned a valuable lesson. Man. Yes. Oh. But uh, <laughs> we were always experimenting with something. But uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. I wish that up here, I mean, we have the dunes and stuff. I wish that people would have more performance and more toys that they wanted to have worked on and stuff. Cause there's no shops up here. I mean, there's a dealership and that's pretty much it. Nobody, nobody really does performance stuff around here. And, well, I, everybody has I loved working UTVs on, now. I loved working on the mini bikes because I could pick them up and put them on the bench. I had, I could pick up the yeah. the things. Early on, I was working on some cars, and I hated the when you the dirt falls in your face. And I decided if I couldn't lift it, I didn't want to work on it. <laughs> and so, I know people. Go ahead, Grandpa. The uh, the little minis were fun because I had a, a rack where I could just set it up on it and uh, and work on it. But uh, and I love single cylinders because you only have to do it once. <laughs> I, I hated uh, you know doing performance work on the fours because you know it's just repetition. You had to do it four times. So, so you just had to work on four singles at one time. Yeah, yeah, but uh, it's. Uh, you know, <laughs> if something breaks, it's potential that it'll break four times. You know, you didn't do it sure. right. You could, uh, you know, create yourself a mess. But, no, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't got to work on any of the multis like that. Um, you know, the, the four stroke design engine design we have now is the short stroke and the big piston. I love that because they rev so much better. They freaking, I think they're easy to work on. Well, they're not easy to work on, but they're easier to work on, uh, on the top end than, than some of the older stuff. But the, the quality of everything is, is better and not. I mean, I think those old school nineties and the 400 EXs and the warriors, yeah, those motors were just so durable. Um, and the stuff today is lightweight and spins to a super high elevation. It, it lives way longer than the general consumer should, should run it because they don't understand what they're dealing with, but that that's okay. I mean, I guess that's what keeps us in business. Yeah. In the old days, everything was so underpowered that anything you'd done helped them. <laughs> and now, if you're not careful, you can detune it. So you got to. But that's what's crazy. I mean, so like Ricky Carmichael back in the day, his RMZ 4, 450, he used to have him detune it. It was too much for him. Well, you got to figure Ricky Carmichael was a little bitty guy on this yeah. big motorcycle that freaking had big power. And um, I'm sure that, that yo, I think Yosh was building those motors. I don't even remember because it wasn't it Suzuki Yosh that he rode for. I think so. Yeah. 
I'll bet you money. They the cams they were putting in there, high compression, and the thing was just a freaking monster. And yeah. you have to tame it down a little to, to a, get traction. And when your rider weighs 140 pounds soaking wet, uh, you know, it's, it's an advantage, but it's also hard to hold on to that much HP. You know, I, by I, no means do I have a lot of skills. But. I, I can, I can go along with that because uh, I built a BSA that I was racing and I done some, modifications to it and I took it to the races and I could not ride it because it wanted to either lift the front wheel or the, or break loose and, and try to uh, just, it just was unmanageable because it just would come on so fast. And so I took it home and detuned it and, and it made good power and I could ride it, but, I had it so healthy this uh, the first time that uh, it, when you just run it down the street, it felt good. But when you're trying to come out of a corner on a dirt track, it's uh, uh, it's not something that you want it to go sideways and lift the front wheel. And, I think that's where the concept of the industry has been lost. Rideable, usable horsepower is everything. And so many people, I want a 60 horsepower motor. Okay. I'll build you that, but you can't ride it. Oh, what do you mean? Well, okay, here you go, man. Knock yourself out, build you what you want, but you're going to, you're either going to park it in the garage and quit riding it. or You're going to bring it back and have me change it because you can't hold on to it. Well, I mean, like I have buddies and I was, God, I was talking to a buddy on Facebook and was telling him I was, you know, he was telling me about he has this big bore 450 and how he has to have a big bore exhaust and all this stuff. And I was just like, it doesn't really work that way. But he was telling me how much power this bike has and, you know, and how great it was. And I was just like, man, it just doesn't, it's just amazing that people can tell you how, how much power they gave you and then you go out and ride it and you're just like, Oh, it's not, that doesn't feel like 60 horsepower. <laughs> I think your dyno is manipulated a little bit. Well, that's the lie, man. The dynos are a freaking a tool that they cheat with and they sell with dyno numbers. And it's just, it's to me, it's, it's, I get so irritated with it because oh my dino guy. And I go, your dino guy probably didn't even know how to start the bike. And, <laughs> and he's telling you this, you know, most people don't even know how to read a dino chart uh, correctly. And I'm not saying I'm any dino chart expert, but I can tell when it's making power, when it's not making power, what the torque curves are. And your biggest thing that a dyno should be doing is, is administering a load correctly, which most of them don't. And then you have to be able to tune it correctly. And if you don't administer load correctly, you can't tune it correctly. Plus you have to tune, pick the tuning ratio that you want to tune to. I mean, there's just so many complicated things to it. And yeah, uh, I mean, I liked, I liked building maps for the fuel injection with Richard. Well, let's put it this way. I watched Richard build tuning maps. Um, I didn't get to build tuning maps. Richard did. Um, I just want to be clear. And so if somebody doesn't call me out on that, Hey, but you built tuning, well, I did not. 
Richard did. Um, I got to do the test riding when we were out in the environment with the Razor RZR 900 and the Yamaha 450R and the LTR. And, um, that was, that was the incredible portion because I could come back and tell him what I was feeling and he could make adjustments, uh, with the laptop. And then we could take it back to the dyno and make more adjustments and then take it back out and ride it again. And, and it was pretty amazing how you could feel the difference in the power, how it would roll on, you know, how it would come out of the turns. And it was just pretty amazing. Uh, I like that part, you know, <laughs> but yeah. So there's, there's just so much, there's just so many more things to talk about. We could talk all night, <laughs> but um, I want to appreciate my son and my dad sitting down and, and, Everybody that listens to this episode, thank you very much for spending some time with the Duncan family. And this is just, you know, as a break from the normal shows that we put on. And it was just a little conversation about our family and what we do and, um, you know, some of the things that we've experienced. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Danny, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time away from the kids tonight and uh, talking with us and and dad, I know you, that you were hot on some TV shows in there with mom. Uh, I hope everybody can tell. I really enjoy uh, these two people that with me here. And uh, there are a lot of inspiration and in a lot of things I do. Um, I love the ATV industry and I love bringing this information to everybody that listens. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of fun and we got more to come and uh, we're probably into the fifties as in our episodes that have dropped when this one will come out. Uh, it'll come out probably sometime in April and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be over 50 episodes dropped at that point, closer to 60 kind of crazy. It's not even been a year yet. We'll see how the, the sponsorships coming in or how the advertisers come in. And, and as we grow, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But uh, I appreciate you coming on, Danny, and, and I know it's getting late for you. Dad, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this has been ATV Talk, um, and we'll just call this the Duncan Chat, and I hope everybody enjoyed, and have a great night. Thank you very much, everybody. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at atvtalkpodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. More than 33 years in the industry is building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 
If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.